Hello, hockey Lock fans. Talk and Radio. Hello, hockey fans. Welcome to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Hello, hockey fans, and welcome once again to the Vegas Hockey Podcast. We got a very special show for you tonight. Uh, we got Jeff Duarte from CaliSportsNews.com. He, he'll be joining us live from Pittsburgh. It's the first time we've done this live, and I'm trying to figure out what I'm looking at. At the same time, I'm uh, trying to talk and do the show, so it's a little bit weird. But anyway, we'll be talking about last night's game. Pittsburgh came out to a roaring start, and scored a couple quick goals early on. We are having some technical difficulties, so I'm trying to figure out what's going on. I apologize to everybody for that. Um, Anyway, we all saw the game. Uh, Pittsburgh came out strong. It could have been more than... Two nothing at the end of one. Martin Jones played a pretty pretty solid first period, um, and then as San Jose's done for the balance of the playoffs, uh, got a power play, scored a power play goal, got right back in. It sees the momentum, and eventually by the end of the period, they'd almost evened it up on shots and had evened it up on the scoreboard. Uh, when it went to the third period. Hello. Chris, you there? I'm here. Oh, there we go. There we go. I, I had a little trouble working this studio <laughs> screen. Uh, I apologize for that. And everybody took time out of their day to listen to me ramble on there for about three minutes trying to figure out what I was doing. Uh, Sincere apologies, but I think I got it taken care of now. Um, Anyway, Chris, I just kind of went through a little quickie rundown on the game last night. Pittsburgh jumped out, legs were flying. Uh, Got out to a 2-0 lead. Probably could have been better, except for Martin Jones. Stood on his head quite a few times there in that first period. And then like San Jose's done the whole playoffs, they got a power play, capitalized on them, kind of stole the momentum there on the in the middle middle part of the game. Um, but I thought by the about the ten minute mark of the third period that Pittsburgh had pretty much pretty much taken control. We had talked with uh, Zachary Devine over there at Last Word on Sports, and one of the things he mentioned kind of came to fruition right there in Game One was faceoffs and. At, earlier on in the game, in the middle of the second period, San Jose was kind of taking control in the faceoff dot, which is out of their character, being the, the last ranked team by percentage in faceoffs for the regular season. But with the critical faceoffs coming down the stretch there in the third period, all seemed to keep going Pittsburgh's way. Um, then they got the power play, win it, and uh, eventually scored the game-winning goal. What's your first impressions on? on that game last night and what it means for the series. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh dominated the first period. San Jose dominated the second. 
I agree with you. San Jose had a, a couple of nice chances in the third, but for the most part, Pittsburgh controlled the third period. Martin Jones was uh, tremendous uh, throughout the game, especially in the first and the third periods. And then uh, with two min- a little over two minutes to go, Nick Bellino, uh, I, I guess he, he knows what it feels like to be Joe Pavelski. He was left all alone in front of the net. That was not only did he have time to stop uh, a moving puck, he had another second to kind of look at the goalie and figure out where he was going to shoot. Uh, it's a little running joke we have going on in the show with leaving yep. Joe Pavelski all alone, and uh, Pittsburgh had that, uh, and he didn't miss. So, uh, yeah, a big win for Pittsburgh. I think game one, obviously, is a long series, but game one is uh, more pressure for the home team uh, to win game one, so they held serve. Uh, I still firmly believe that this is going to be a long series. Uh, I'm, I'm of the belief we'll go seven, and I would uh, expect the Sharks to come back and win game two and Pittsburgh win one over there. So uh, I think after four games, we're going to look at a 2-2 series, but we'll see how that plays out. Well, I, hey, Chris, I, see Jeff, I, I see Jeff on the line right now. I don't want to keep him waiting, okay. so let me go ahead and yeah, bring no, him right Yeah, no, bring him up. Jeff, are you there? I am here. Hey guys, how's it going? It's going very hey, good. Thanks for taking thanks hey, for taking time out of your schedule, sir. I know you're busy out there in Pittsburgh. Uh, give me some initial thoughts on on uh, what you saw last night. Uh, well, I thought it was a fantastic, uh, somewhat back and forth game. Uh, back and forth, as in Pittsburgh uh, dominated. I know you guys were talking about this a bit, but it was all Pittsburgh in the first period. It was all San Jose in the second period. A little bit more even in the third, but Pittsburgh, you know, did have more of an advantage. Out shooting San Jose 18 to nine. I thought it was a really exciting game. Um, you know, I'm going to put it out there. This was my also my first ever Stanley Cup final. I have a, like I didn't I wasn't able to go see LA in the final uh, when they were there in 2012 or 2014. I tried to get there in '93 in Montreal for the first two games, but I was too young, didn't have a license or a car or money, and nobody was getting me tickets and driving me up. So I thought it was a very, very entertaining game. But, you know, it was also my first experience. So I think I would have liked it no matter what. For sure, for sure. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about, it. Um, n- neither team's really, really, uh, let's say, branded as a physical team. But uh, watching the game and then looking at the stats afterwards, both teams pulled 36 hits for a total of 72 hits in the game. Um, did it feel like that physical a game there in the arena? It did. And you know, do you want to know why? Because it's the cup. So well, uh, sure. Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh isn't known for being that physical type of team. I mean, how many teams from the East are really known to be big, bruising physical teams? That's more would, that would be more in San Jose's ballpark. But Pittsburgh came out hitting as much as San Jose came out hitting. And there was a lot of oohs and ahs, at least from where I was, uh, from my perspective, that, yeah, all te- teams were coming out. They were coming out to hit hard. It wasn't just San Jose crashing and banging. It was Pittsburgh as well. It did come across like that. What did, what did you think on the uh, the hit on Brian Rust, just first first glance? Seeing it happen live, it looked like just a clean hit, even though Rust, I mean, he was blindsided, and it's pretty evident in the, you know, the instant replay. But from when it happened, just look, he was just about to turn around, and Patrick Marlowe just got him with a solid hit. Um, the fact that uh, Rust, I think, came back out for just one more shift and then was done for the rest of the game, 
And then also with the video replay um, and, of course, the penalty that came as a result of it uh, from, you know, the hit being too high, I still think it was a clean hit. It looked clean live and from the replays, I mean, Rust, and of course, there's no discipline going to Patrick Marlowe, as we found out today. Uh, Rust, yes, was blindsided, but he was also very low, and he seemed to be off balance. His head was down, and I think Marlowe just hit him just with his shoulder. It wasn't an elbow. It wasn't the tip of the shoulder. He just did a hit, and unfortunately, Rust was a bit too low, and he got clocked. Um, he did come back to play, but sometimes like how head injuries or situations happen, you don't know how bad you're hurt until a bit later on. The fact he didn't come back and Pittsburgh is listing him as day-to-day has to be a concern. But uh, I think the NHL, at least in my opinion, made the right call today, and I thought it was clean. What do you guys think? Um, I kind of thought the same thing watching it live. The, the replay... I mean, you could see definitely see some head contact there, but I do think it was an awkward position uh, Russ was in. Um, he was turning into Marlowe, it looks like. So, I mean, tough. I, I could see, I could see Pittsburgh fan happy, and I could see San Jose unhappy. And if it was the one game suspension, I could see it the other way around too. So, um, Chris, what do you think about that one? Yeah, I agree with both, what both you guys have said. The only thing I, w- I would say is, and I agree with what J.D. said, I mean, Russ was kind of low, and, and Marlo probably, you know, seen him in the corner of his eye, but the bottom line is, rightly or wrongly, you hit someone up in the head, you're going to get called. So that's just something that the players are going to have to realize and, uh, um, you know, make sure when you hit somebody, and I understand that was kind of a, uh, a unique set of circumstances, but they're going to call it. Yeah, for sure. Well, let me take a minute here. I blew the intro trying to figure out this whole live studio window I'm looking at at the same time the show went on the air. So, J.D. Styles, he's the NHL content director for at Cali Sports News and CaliSportsNews.com. He uh, covers the Kings for them, but he also is is their NHL content director. Uh, this is his first year getting credentialed to cover the Stanley Cup Finals, so it's our privilege here to, to have J.D. Styles live from Pittsburgh. Uh, we appreciate the time that you're taking to come in, and I just wanted to make sure, and you guys could all, always follow J.D. on Twitter, at J.D. Styles underscore, um, just to catch up with all his content. Uh, his Twitter feed yesterday was reading like a who's who of, of hockey, uh, hockey journalists and former players and, and broadcasters and, and a coach there, Barry Melrose, I saw you got to spend some time with. But that, getting that out of the way, let's get back to the game. We were talking with Zachary Devine a little bit, and, and I was just going over this with Chris, and I wanted to get your take on it too. San Jose being the lowest-ranked face-off percentage team, um, going through the first period, I think, a lot of Pittsburgh's momentum was continually winning the faceoffs, And then after, after San Jose scored their power play goal there early in the second, it seemed like they got the momentum off of creating possession chances with their faceoff. And then maybe with about 10 minutes to go in the third, I, I, I still think the, the first part of the third period was some fantastic two-way hockey. I didn't think anybody really had any momentum or advantage in any of that. Um, but Pittsburgh seemed to just continually win, especially their defensive zone faceoffs, and I think that gave them the momentum to go ahead down the stretch and get that that penalty called that led to the game-winning goal. Um, did did you feel like that in the arena that the possession was driving momentum there? 
Uh, I'm not the biggest analytics guy. I do have, like, the stats and everything that they give to us uh, from the game, so I have everything here. But, like, just with the old eye test, uh, watching the game live as it played out, it really did look like Pittsburgh was superior in the face-off circle, and that has to be a major advantage, at least to get your plays to start going. uh, San Jose just seemed to be, I don't know, I don't want to say full of jitters, but Pittsburgh does have a lot of guys who have been in the Stanley Cup final before, Crosby, Malkin, Latang, even though Fleury's not playing Fleury. San Jose has Jones, but he was on the bench. And San Jose just looked a little jittery, and in the faceoff circles, they didn't, they didn't even look sharp. You know, at, at least from my perspective, it didn't even look like that Pittsburgh was just that better at the faceoff circle, but they did have the advantage in the faceoff circle. It just looked like San Jose was just a bit off. And even in the second period, really what helped San Jose get back in the game was Ian Cole's penalty from Pittsburgh. San Jose, one of the best power play teams in the league. They were fourth overall in the regular season. That was the break that they needed. And then they were able to regain some confidence and momentum back to get back into that game. But uh, Pittsburgh, it was just so many things with Pittsburgh. The face-off circle definitely dominant. Their speed is was something else. And it was just keeping San Jose's uh, defense completely off balance. Like, they didn't know where these guys were coming from. They were attacking from all angles, really. But at the face-off circle, you know, it just it, San Jose just seemed to be a bit off on the power play. They were stronger, but they're always confident in the power play. Anyways, they're a power play dominant team. Um, but Pittsburgh definitely had the advantage, and it did look like that. Yeah, okay. Chris, you want to jump in and hit J.D. with a couple questions? Yeah, hey, J.D. Um, how was the atmosphere? Uh, how loud was it? Uh, how were the fans? How would you describe it? Excitement, excitement, excitement. There was nothing but energy exploding through the console energy center. Uh, these people are psyched for the Stanley Cup finals. They showed it. They screamed it. They had their towels waving. Go, pens, go. They were saying throughout the whole game. Um, it's, it's just an, it was just an amazing atmosphere. And, of course, that's also no surprise. Pittsburgh is a well-known sports town, very, very blue-collar, proud city, uh, whether it's the Pittsburgh Pirates or the Steelers or uh, the, the Gotham Knights of the Dark Knight Rises with their, with their teams because they filmed that movie here at Heinz Field. Um, yeah, I thought some of that. With, it, it, it's the same thing uh, with the Penguins. And just even like this morning, uh, going out for breakfast, um, everyone's talking about it. Like there's Stanley Cup fever here. They love the Pens. They want the Cup back. As soon as the game started after the opening faceoff, the fans started already chanting, we want the Cup. Um, it, it, energetic atmosphere. The people of Pittsburgh, you know, very passionate. And, and it shows. And I don't know how loud it was on television, but in the arena, I mean, you can't even hear the person beside you. It was that loud. What's impressed me about the Sharks most during these playoffs, and I've mentioned this a few times to Mark, not only their, you know, how well they're playing and all their best players uh, playing fast and all that good stuff, but in the critical games, and you as an observer, uh, a keen and close observer of the Kings, know the Sharks very well. Uh, you know, that game, that third period of game five against the Kings, the games after the brutal overtime losses, the two overtime losses to the Predators, game five against the Blues on the road. San Jose has come out when they had to have a game and take it to another level. From what you've seen of San Jose this postseason, is that is that the team you expect to hit the ice for game two? 
It is. I, I fully expect uh, San Jose to make the proper adjustments now that they've seen Pittsburgh in action. They've seen the speed. They've seen the passing and the skating ability of Penguins and what they can provide. I do believe the Sharks are going to be able to adapt to that and take their game to another level, definitely in game two. Now, of course, as all three of us talked about the last time I was on the show with the Western Conference preview. San Jose's not known to take it to another level, but we have to at least give them the benefit of the doubt that, you know, they have because they're in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, they finally did something right, and they were able to turn things on uh, when needed. Um, I have no doubt that San Jose is going to come back stronger. I'm not saying they're going to win the series, I do think this is going to be a long series, but I do think San Jose, now that they've seen what Pittsburgh can do and got those game one jitters out of the way, like I said before, you know, guys like Joe Thornton and Pavelski and Marlowe, they have never been in the Stanley Cup final before. You know, they've been to the Olympics, World Championships, World Juniors, et cetera, but they've never been here before, and there's got to be some butterflies in the stomach with that, where Crosby, Malkin, and Latang, they have been there before. Um, but now with that out of the way, it's probably going to be back to business, and I see a much stronger and adapted San Jose Sharks for Game 2. Yeah, and my last question is actually for both you guys, both diehard Kings guys. In watching that game last night and watching Martin Jones play so well, did, it, did, did you say to yourselves, um, yeah, I don't think we got enough back uh, for this talented 21-year-old? Um, I think we got I think we got above market value for a career backup goalie. I think I think looking if you want to go back a little bit and look at the Jonathan Bernier trade, who was a higher touted prospect than Martin Jones was even after Martin Jones came in and did did a year of backup duty. Um we were only able, if I recall correctly, to get a second and Matt Fratton. Uh JD could probably pull that up better than I can, yeah. but to to for the return that they got, um, I, I think I think Dean Lombardi did a good job on that trade. Hindsight's always twenty okay. twenty, but if you have a backup goalie as your asset, um, I, I I think he did a good job. What do you think about that, JD? Uh, I agree with you, Mark, uh, completely. Because like you said, hindsight is twenty twenty. And Martin Jones has proven himself now. He didn't prove himself with the Kings before that. When he first started with the Kings during the 2013-14 season, out of necessity, when Jonathan Quick got hurt with a groin injury, and he ended up getting three shutouts, and I was at the game in Montreal cheering on the Kings because I wasn't working for Cali Sports at the time. The Kings won 6 nothing, and Jones had the shutout. You know, he was a very impressive goalie, and he had a very bright future. But, yeah, so did Bernier before him, and Bernier was a very high draft pick. But, like, there was always the possibility that Jones was going to be, you know, fantastic, but no, nobody really knew for sure until this year when he became a number one goalie and now has led a team to the Stanley Cup final. Uh, I think in hindsight, yeah, you know, and as a fan too, as a diehard Kings fan, I'm going to look at Jones making those saves and be like, man, uh, I miss him wearing a Kings jersey. I mean, that's natural, but uh, Dean Lombardi did what he had to do because, let's be honest, Jones was going to leave anyways. I mean, there was a very high risk and at the time before the trade, Jones was going to be a restricted free agent. There was a very high risk that somebody like San Jose's GM, Doug Wilson, was going to give him an offer sheet and they would have lost Jones for nothing. So the fact that they traded him to Boston and were able to at least get one year out of Milan Cic, I mean, I thought it was a good move by Lombardi. I'm still going to criticize a part of it, though, 
now, just as I did when the trade happened, I still think the Kings gave up too much because, you know, they ended up giving up Colin Miller and another first-round draft pick for somebody as talented and passionate as Lucic, but someone who may be, and it's looking like it, might be just a one-year rental. But, you know, Jones, like Mark said, Jones was a backup goalie. He wasn't the Kings' number one goalie. So, you know... Uh, Lombardi got something in return. He did what he had to do. I still think that the price was a little bit too high. Should have been a straight up Jones versus Lucic. But hey, hindsight is twenty twenty, like we've been saying. And you know what? I, I still have faith in Jonathan Quick. Real, real quick, I just ordered something. <laughs> real quick, JD, give me a percent chance Lucic resigns with the Kings. Uh, if you want me to be a hundred percent honest with you, uh, Chris. And, of course, I don't have any insider details about what's going on here. I, I probably hear the same things that you guys hear. But, uh, like, I'm going to be honest, and this is going to be blunt, but it's 0%. And the reason why Whoa. I'm saying 0 yeah, I'm, the reason why I'm saying 0% is simply because money talks in sports. I mean, sports is a business. And for Lucic to stay, I'm sure him and his family love Southern California. But then again, who wouldn't? Who wouldn't want to live there? And I'm sure, you know, the LA Kings system fit uh, Lucic perfectly, and he had a nice comeback year. But why is he going to take a discount, stay with the King, because they're so strapped with the salary cap, when he can make $6 million for somebody else or more, um, and he already has his cup, you know? So I'm not I'm not saying Lucic isn't going to do Actually, I am saying Lucic isn't going to do it. I'm not saying Lucic doesn't like being an LA King or playing for Los Angeles, but in the end, he's going to have to take a huge discount because the Kings did not pay his whole $6 million, uh, you know, uh, contract last year because Boston took most of it. LA only paid three point something. So for him to come back and as strapped as the Kings are, they're, even if they get rid of Dustin Brown's contract and Marion Gabbard's contract, they still have to fix up their defense. They have so much things to work on that they can't just blow all their money on Lucic and Kopitar's contract goes into effect uh, next season or come July 1st. So they're not going to have much room. He has to take a discount, but will he? And you guys tell me when anybody in any sport took a discount for a team that he only played for for one year, doesn't have a history with or anything, when he could have been making millions more somewhere else. I mean, it's going to be tough. I hope he does stay. At the same time, I hope L.A. also gets um, you know, better defensively and upgrades their defense, but you can't have that, everything today. And I'm going to say, he's, I don't think he's coming back. And I said that the day of the trade, I'm still saying it now. The answer is going to be 0%. I hope I'm wrong, but it's 0%. Can uh, can you maybe only be about fifty percent honest with that question, Jeff? <laughs> I, I, I got to be blunt, Mark. I'm sorry. I'm very, like, no, I've, I've been talking about this with so many people all season long, and I have very strong feelings. I, I really enjoyed Lucic on the team. I really think he conducted himself well. I thought he played with a lot more respect than he did as a Boston Bruin. I thought he was um, very tough. He was good in the locker room. Great with the fans. You know, I, I like he, he's a perfect fit for the Kings and vice versa, but money's going to talk and he's going to give up three, four million just to stay, you know, in Los Angeles and a team that barely competed in the playoffs in five games. I just don't see it happening. I hope it, hope he stays, but uh, I, I got to say zero. Sorry. No, I hear you. So I hear you. But if Dean Lombardi is able to move a $5 million plus salary to free up cap space, then then you're in the bowl game. Right. If they, if, if they, uh, if they move Dustin Brown, 
right? Which, you know, the, the thing we're hearing now is the C has been removed. I don't think the team's been an official thing yet about that. But, it look, you know, Brown, we all know Brown's going to be out. Gabrick is four point something as well. If they move those pieces, there is going to be more room. But they can't just blow all the money or all the cap space on just one player like Lucic. The defense has, def- like, there's no defensive depth at all. And they, they need to add that. Like, Shen is going to be gone. I don't think he's coming back. And I don't think he played that well to begin with. McNabb's a restricted free agent. Um, they need, like, look what happened with, with Martinez being injured. Dowdy had to do everything by himself. It looked like Dowdy got burnt out. So the Kings have to shore up defensively. Um, and, and to blow all that money, even if they make the room, to blow all that money on just Lucic, I don't know if that's enough. No, I hear you. Hey, are you going to be traveling to San Jose for this thing, or are you just covering it in Pittsburgh? I did get accepted for all Stanley Cup games, so I could have if I if I was going to San Jose. Unfortunately, because of my day job, um, I'm not able to fly down to California. And let's be honest, if I did, I would probably make a wrong turn and end up in SoCal. And I'd be partying uh-huh. in Los Angeles because I love L.A. But uh, my colleague, Emily Redenback of CaliSportsNews.com, I was able to get her to cover those games. So Cali Sports News, for, for all you listeners out there, follow me, follow Emily, follow Cali Sports News, because we are still covering the Stanley Cup Final, even in San Jose. She will be there in my place. Okay, I did see her put that out on Twitter. We follow her too, so that's fantastic. Any thoughts going forward on uh... – on what we're going to see long-term in the series? Like, if I put you on the spot, you got a prediction of where this is going? Um, I, well, my my heart is saying um, Pittsburgh in four. <laughs> but <laughs> my gut, my heart, but my gut and my instinct is saying, uh, and this is where my superstitions are, are, I have to go against my superstitions, but I'm still thinking San Jose takes the series. And I was saying six or seven games. I would love to see Pittsburgh take out San Jose. That's the LA Kings fan in me. But, uh, man, San Jose this year and has really reminded me of the 2012 LA Kings, meaning that they've just been steamrolling over teams. And everything is just clicking. Not last night, but everything just seems to be clicking. And uh, how, how will an Eastern Conference team you know, deal with San Jose once they start playing at their best, just like, you know, the Eastern teams that had to face Los Angeles and Chicago in recent years. So I'm saying San Jose in six or seven, but man, I hope Pittsburgh folks off, but that's the fan in me. Well, when we get, when we get back to game six, uh, maybe we'll get you to come back on here. We only got about two minutes left on our airtime here. So uh, we'll be in touch. Uh, enjoy your time there in Pittsburgh, sir. I know uh, I know you're excited, and congratulations on on c- getting credentialed by the National Hockey League to cover the Stanley Cup Finals. We uh, we can always say we knew you win, right? <laughs> uh, well, guys, you know, a uh, big part of that was because of my appearances on this podcast. So thank you guys, Mark and Chris, for bringing me on, uh, the first people ever to bring me on a podcast. And it's I love this show so much. It's always an honor and a pleasure to be on the show. And even though they're not playing, it's always go Kings go. Thanks, guys. For sure. Hey, one thing, one thing before I let you go, I got time. You're going to be covering uh, Kings Road Games next fall on your own podcast as a co-host, correct? I have been brought on to LA Kings Road Talk Radio to be a co-host on the show um, during the Kings Road Games when they play in the Eastern Conference, which is my, uh, not Eastern Conference, but Eastern Time Zone, which is my time zone because I live in Canada in Southern Ontario, for those who don't know. So yeah, so uh, definitely check out that podcast too. But guys, they'll bring me onto your podcast. I will make myself available for you guys too.
Oh, for sure. We appreciate it. And when it's Kings Islanders back east, make sure you give Chris a call. Oh, by the oh, way, one slowly. quick thing. Uh, one quick thing. Drew Doughty was just inducted to the Canadian Portuguese. Uh, sorry, the Portuguese Canadian Walk of Fame in Toronto, Ontario. Um, that's a big thing because I, I'm a, I have a Portuguese background. But John Tavares okay. is also is also in that. So uh, yeah, it'll be Portuguese Canadian versus Portuguese Canadian. I look forward to that. Fantastic. I got to let you go. We got about 30 seconds left, JD. I'll be in touch. Maybe we'll have you on right there at the end of the finals if it gets to game six or game seven. We look forward to talking to you again, buddy. Anytime, Mark and Chris. Thank you so much. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of the live episode of the Vegas Hockey Podcast. Well, I got off to a terrible start, and I apologize to all the listeners there. But uh, I think JD came on, saved the day. Chris, uh, 10 seconds, last thought. Sharks win game two. Okay. And with that, we're out of here. See you soon. Okay, Chris. (laughs) 